Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 111. That's 111 of Death Readers. The podcast where Rob and I discuss the books we're reading for the first time and share our thoughts and notes with each other. If this is your first time listening, we suggest you reading The Legend of Drift's Book 3, Sojourn, Chapter 20 through End of so Book, sure. before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Uh, did you do your reading? I did my reading, yeah. Good. Do we have any housekeeping? I think you had some homework to do that I feel like you didn't do, but you can didn't surprise I? me. You can surprise me if you'd like. I did oh, wow. do my homework. I googled, why do people like Dritz to Erden? Mm-hmm. The first few searches I found were, what is everyone's problems with Dritz? Justify the Dritz <laughs> to Erden hate for me. Dritz to Erden, why all the hate? The other entries on that first Google search page included Dritz to Erden pull, love him or hate him. Off-topic discussion, why do you hate Dritz? I really fucking hate Dritz to Erden. And what's wrong with Dritz to Erden anyway? Most of these... I've got this whole... I, 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 I copied this this entry um, from what's was what is everyone's problem with Dritz? That I was going to read, but it just seems really long. But that person uh, underlines the usual critiques for Dritz, and they boil down to Dritz is a munchkin character with overpowered abilities. I don't know what that means. I don't know what a munchkin is. Um, I know it's a game of some yeah, sort. Munchkin's a game where you can like you. Uh, it's it's like a it's like a dungeon crawling game. It's like a D- Dungeons and Dragons game where mm-hmm. ba- with cards where you get a pile of cards to start with, and with those cards you can create a hero character uh, that has you know arbitrarily assigned attributes you know you can argue it's random but it's it's you know they're the same things every time so i guess it's a randomly assigned uh attributes or powers or abilities or equipment and then they become like powerful based on those things but also one of the things about munchkin is that in its quest to uh, mimic a adventure story or a dungeons and dragons style thing uh there are parts of the game that can be kind of like cheating uh if depending on what card you have you can do things like you can wear two hats at, or two pieces of headgear at the same time oh okay that'll... yeah so that way that would be like cheating yeah so that you can you can be like well like a helm of invisibility and a headband of not bleeding or or, or more specific because those things sound like they could stack functionally but if you had yeah something I, like, I used a bad one if you had something <laughs> like a helm of invisibility and also a helm of uh you know see-through windows then like i don't i don't like that how about like a like a like a musketeer hat of see-through windows i still feel like whatever kind of hat you have you could put a helm over it yeah but it would look stupid so i say two helms are two things you probably couldn't wear at the same time which you buy a hat to look stylish you're not going to shove that over he's going to ruin the blocking so that's what i think he's that this person's trying to say is that dritz feels like he's essentially like i said uh, before we started all of these books i think i mentioned that my prediction is that dritz is a mary sue fairy sue fairy sue right and uh in that way might not be that interesting to read so at that point to answer your question not knowing what that means uh, if i answered it do you think you understand the yeah no i think so yeah totally continue uh dritz overshadows the pcs and discounts the value of their adventures i'm thinking this is when you use him in a campaign Mm. weird um or or 
Maybe, but I also we haven't read the Crystal Shard yet, so maybe they feel like there are other PCs, you know, with playable character, but like your player character. But it's well, they also he also makes reference to if the DM wants to have him make a cameo or use oh. an adventure, that's easily done. So they're, okay. he's just talking about Dritz as a whole. Remember, he's sure, defending sure, sure. Dritz. These are just okay. his points that he thinks right. other people have. Uh, three Dritz made the drow into wusses. Okay. Uh, this one I like. I'm going to read this one. Uh, read Salvatore's books. The drow are presented as handsome, shiny monsters. They have a nightmare society that engages in the worst kind of depravity. If anything, the books should be fodder for DMs to better use the drow as villains. I mean, that that that's a, that's a Dritz defender. What can you do? Uh, and the last one, a lot of players want to play the Dritz clone, and that annoys me, is a reason mm-hmm. to not like Dritz. But a lot of that seems to have to do with the game and not necessarily the book series. Sure, sure. But, I mean, that was that was the most coherent uh, collection of reasons to like or dislike Dritz, depending on which part of it you're reading. Sure, but does, it sounds um, like there's no real conclusive like answer on like, co- why people it, do it, like him. Correct. It feels a lot more like the editors blowing smoke in the uh, in the about the author section. Right. Because a lot of people are tired of it. And yet they still sell. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um. Well, I mean. I mean, what do like people? What do people like Harry Potter? What, what a, what a jerk he is. Well, at least Harry Potter is actually the villain of his his stories. So, <laughs> like, there's some value there for if you think that that's fun. <laughs> I mean, I once I realized that, mm-hmm. once I realized that Harry Potter was the bad guy, I, it, it made them more interesting. Sure. As as books, but also more confounding because it certainly felt like people weren't supposed to think that mm-hmm. or it feels like people aren't supposed to think that rather because he's still in insanely popular right now i mean people are always getting the wrong message from media yeah they don't they don't appreciate things the correct way the way we appreciate them okay um so that's as close as i could get to why do people like dritz i guess just because he's cool well, I think there's a difference between liking Trist and liking these books. Like that's to me a huge difference. Like, sure, and I didn't, I didn't think to look that up. Our conversation had been just looking up Trist himself. Oh, I thought it was the. No. I thought we were looking up the books. No, um, don't go back and listen either. I'm just right. That makes me feel like I'm remembering correctly, and you were covering for scrapping together your research to no. Feel like it's it not at all justified. indicative of my scholastic career and how I was with homework. Ah, I understood. did lots of work with lots of research and notes and compiled it carefully and didn't just cut and paste. Oh, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Well, um, sounds like your 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 kid can do her homework right without cutting and pasting. You've uh, yo, so, yeah. Without, someone without else cutting. has taught her how to do work, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Anyway, so I think there's a lot of reasons to like Dritz as a character. I I think that, you know, I have lots of reasons that I I like this character Mm -hmm. that we can get to once we finish this episode because it'll, I think it has more to do with reviewing the book as a whole because this is a book rap party. It is. The, uh, but in terms of the books themselves, I mean, there's, I think there's plenty of space for criticism and and specifically about salvatore's writing style anyway uh do you have anything else you'd like to talk about before we start this no i don't all right 
then I say let's get started with... Let's jump right in. Chapter 20, Years and Miles. Summary. Roddy McGristle has gone full quint in the six years since the Battle of Mushi's Grove. Having grown crotchety and old in six years, McGristle is somewhat well-known as an expert in all things drow, which is why we find him in a tavern settling the validity of a drow sighting. McGristle sets out to hunt the elf after learning that the drow in question matches all the defining physical characteristics of Dritzt, especially his purple eyes. You ever see a drow's eyes, chief? They got lavender eyes. They're like a dragon's eyes. <laughs> purple. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Dritzt is traveling with a band of sad monks towards Mirabar. Um, do you have any notes in this chapter? Uh, a couple notes. I got a couple notes. Uh, early on, when they're discussing if that person in the tavern had really seen a drow or not, uh, they suggested maybe it was a dirty elf or an orc. And I'm like, is dirty elf a class of elf I've not yet heard of, or do they just mean a regular elf who's dirty? I think the latter. Okay, then that that makes sense. I just wanted to make sure there wasn't yet another thing that I'm like, oh, is no, a that's third? that's the. Uh... BDSM version of D&D. BDNDSM. There you go. Thank you. I needed to hear it. Um, and then a question that was kind of answered for me later, I, but I thought there was this weird overlap where McGristle was still trying to get the money for Dritz, even though he knew... The, the, earlier in the book. Mm-hmm. I thought he was still trying to go after the bounty, even though he knew Dove was going back to tell everyone that Dritz hadn't done it and thus the bounty would be rescinded and so I was confused but I think at this point it's just his own personal vendetta like you said yeah I think that uh, that Mick Gristle is supposed to be he's just out he 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 his reasons are whatever they want them him to be at the time yeah. like they're they're like whatever he feels like he can I, th- I think it's all dependent on who's listening to him talk if it's Somebody who needs to hear him say, I'm a bounty hunter and I'm after this bounty of this guy that murdered all these these people, this family. He'll say that because that will get people to help him and feel like he's a hero. When he's with Dritz, he's like, nope. Or he's with somebody else. He's like, like uh, eventually, uh, Brunor. I think so you say his name? I think so. Uh, he's like, he fucking cut my face apart and he killed my dog. That's what this is about. I guess my problem is it, it made it very confusing for me as to what his exact motivation was. I, I don't I think that his exact motivation is to kill Dritzt. And I don't think he has a, a solid reason for I it. I don't think he has a reason to differentiate between all of the reasons. Gotcha. Okay. Sure. Why not? Yeah. People do that. Right. Disassociate. Yeah, That's it's like it once me. once you've decided you are going to do something or you like or dislike something, you just start building a case and everything starts to like pool up. It just starts to build up and no one part is the one reason and no removal of one of those uh, reasons or a invalidation of one of your justifications is going to stop you or change your mind. Right. Because at this point, you're just logic, right? You're just a, you know, an anger juggernaut and (laughs) it's, it's just, it's just, there's no stopping you. Fair enough. Yeah. That's it for me. Uh, my, I have two notes. Uh, they're not, they're not super, uh, insightful. That's okay. The first note is I like Mick Gristle as Quint. Yep. Uh, I think it's, it, I don't, I don't know if it's as direct as I'm seeing it. I don't, I don't know if he's. I feel like it is now. I feel like, I feel like 
that cast the character in a, in a in a better light and made him retroactively entertaining for me. Right. He like it just feels like he's like in the in the tavern scratching nails on a chalkboard and and then just deciding to like walk through a room completely controlling it talking about the terrors of the drow that attacked him and then someone else is like yes the 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 shark i saw was you know 25 feet 3 tons and and he's like that's my shark <laughs> oh excuse me excuse me brody our shark cuz that's what he, he says you know. Shark, sharks in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. Our shark. Yeah. <sighs> um, maybe not everyone has watched that movie as much as some other people, and I just want to make sure that some people's cleverness in referencing that movie is perceived <laughs> clearly. Um, I'm always for stopping everything so everyone understands how clever you are. Thank you, especially how clever I am. I all I appreciate. One. I should have said one. You said me. me. You said I me. I did. I did. I did. I take full responsibility and i take all full credit um the so i love that comparison but but especially when you're thinking about how many times well considering this comparison to quint and my questioning whether or not it's it's direct a direct reference or a direct illusion or inspiration sure i i feel like it's worth noting how many other direct inspirations we've seen this guy use in just this book we have frankenstein Mm-hmm. We have, like, clearly a reference to Frankenstein. We have a clear reference to Lord of the Rings at least once, if not twice, with the... I, the first one I'm thinking of is the the sequence where we talked about where Aragorn is looking at the Hobbit's tracks and being like, they mm-hmm. went this way. Mm-hmm. There's that sequence, and I think there's another one that's... uh, Well, there's the... No, that's in the other book. That's in the book before this one. Sure, but this one has a clear Hobbit parallel. We haven't got to it yet. Right. But um, it is. Oh yes, that, that's the one. Clo- that's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. Okay. Is, is the okay. one that we haven't gotten to yet, but yeah. is so like, okay, we get it, bro. <laughs> yes. Like, are you are you making like an Eli Roth film where you're just ripping off things you like, or or like a Quentin Tarantino movie, or are you gonna write your own story? Are you gonna um, go full Gus Van Sant and do a word yeah. for word remake? <laughs> shot for shot, word for word. So anyway, but I I really I still. Like I all that criticism aside, all that criticism mm-hmm. of Salvatore and his style and his his inspirations and his arguable ripping offs of I still like that kind of character. And I feel like he he may have earned it with McGristle because the comparison to Quint only happens after he's we we've seen him justifiably become Quint. Sure. Or who Quint is in that in Jaws. Absolutely. So, so, like, whereas Quint just shows up, is this guy, and happens to be in the town being attacked yes, by a shark. Yes, yes, <laughs> he's he's a uh, <laughs> Deus Megalodon or something. Uh, <laughs> he he, and so anyway, I, I feel like I feel like Mick Gristle earns the the grit of being this character, and so I like that. My my second note is I also really like the uh, Weeping Friars. I think they're fucking great. I really love the, I love the idea of the only people that will hang out with Dritz are people who literally as part of their religion, welcome suffering. 
I, okay, I so... think that as, as a as a condemnation of Drift and a as a validation of all the strife he's endured, suggesting that the only people in the world who will tolerate him or tolerate being around him are people who want trouble. <laughs> Yeah. Are are literally people who are asking for it. Like it's <laughs> it's really funny to me. Well, because since you brought them up, I, I will bring up my later notes because it occurred to me later, but it, it, it's it's applicable here. Uh, the suffering monks—that's what they're called. They're called the weeping monks. I think. Weeping monks. That's right. Um, is that something that, as far as you know, and you don't always know, and I, that's fine. Is that something he's Salvatore is expanding on from lore, or is that just his commentary on religion? <laughs> um. I have not heard of it before in Dungeons and sure. Dragons, but excuse that means me. it does not exist in Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. If Doug hasn't heard of it. <laughs> That's how it goes in this podcast. Um, but I will say that he's not want for commenting on religion in this book. True. Very or true. the others. So I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if I'd say it's just, it's just a way for him to talk about religion because he has not shied away from it. So I think it's just another way. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I, okay. I, was, I, I yeah, that's one of those. So that's it for me. And okay, that's it for you. Let's fucking move on to chapter twenty-one, Hephaestus. Okay, first, do you think that it's actually pronounced Hephaestus? Now, I know, I know that later in, in this chapter they reference specifically some old forgotten god of the forge, which is a little annoying to say specifically. Wait, let's not get into my first note, okay? Okay, I'm sorry. You just want to talk about pronunciation? Well, yeah, but it's that. Do you think that in Dungeons and Dragons they would ha- they would pronounce it differently just to make it sound like not Hephaestus? No. Okay. Summary. A chapter straight out of The Hobbit. Tifanis traps Drifts and the Weeping Friars within the Red Dragon Hephaestus' den. Realizing they cannot get out the way they came in, the Drow and friends concoct a scheme in which Drift masquerades as a famous black dragon who's been polymorphed into the shape of a drow in order to reach safety outside Hephaestus' den. After some familiar schmoozing, the uh, the friars and drits do escape with their lives, and a few more trinkets left uh, lifted from the dragon's hoard. What? No? You want to do your first note now? Oh, sure. Obscure god of blacksmiths? Yeah. Does that mean that an analog of the Roman pantheon of gods exists in the Forgotten Realms? Well, I think that there's any number of ways you could uh, answer this. <laughs> I think that the most lame and probably the most accurate is that, cause I don't, I don't, I don't know about that, but considering that every single fucking fiction has the out now of, um, we're in a multiverse. <laughs> I feel like saying, and, and considering that part of Dungeons and Dragons is traversing different planes of existence, like Guinevere literally pops between her place and the Forgotten Realms whenever Drift says her name, like a black cat, Nixius Pitalik. So I think that that's the, the way you could argue like, oh, maybe someone in the Forgotten Realms traveled to somewhere where the Roman pantheon exists. Is It's Rome, right? Hephaestus yeah. is Rome? Okay. Oh, Hephaestus is is Hephaestus is Greek. Yeah, Hephaestus yeah. is Greek. Yeah, <laughs> I I knew. I would have got there. You started with Rome, which is weird. Eh. It's like it's sort of like praising the colonizer. Um, <laughs> it is. So and you could say we shouldn't have been conquered. 
<laughs> Rude. <laughs> so I think that's the easy answer is mm-hmm. okay, some wizard f- was able to travel there, got a got a book about Greek gods. You got e- Edith Hamilton's mythology. A dragon ate that wizard, took his book or something, whatever, and it read it and was like, oh, I like this name, Hephaestus. Forgot about the book. The book was stolen. Someone else found the book, wrote another book based on that book and their experience with that dragon about dragons and added into it. Oh, yeah, by the way, he took his name from this obscure uh, god of blacksmiths, the end. But outstanding. They can all read and speak the same language. Oh, you can. There's spells for that. Oh, right. Of course. Would a spell in a magic universe work on a book from a non-magic universe? I don't know. Dritz can't even levitate in the above ground. So who fucking knows? Does that answer your question? (laughs) I think so. All right. As much as it's going to get answered. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Do you have any more notes? Uh, Let's see here. I've got this. There was an actual bit of cool writing I liked and Mm. noted when uh, Dritz is telling his plan to the weeping monks we think they're called weeping friars technically weeping friars damn it um and they told them that that's a stupid idea even every fool knows that and he says rarely do i listen to fools i'm like all right that was clever i enjoyed that good good for you salvatore um and then just how hobbity yeah this whole chapter is like at the point where tricking a red dragon on its treasure hoard well, and and he basically says things like "I am fire," like he kind of, like you know, my teeth are spears, kind of shit, like or whatever the line is. It feels very much like that. Yeah, and even even to the point of like, oh, you think your black dragon breath is more powerful than mine? Check this shit, and then like just just unleashes and Dritz is like ka-ching. and I I get that like you could just be saying like. Like, Salvatore, rather, could just be saying, well, these uh, these are just the traits of red dragons. To be boastful, to be vain, to be easily challenged. Sure, but it is still derivative and slightly reductive because when Bilbo did it, it felt like, you know, like like a myth of the hero going against the ogre and having to use his smarts to outwit it. And now it's just become, oh, dragons are dumb. I, I I hear what you're saying, and I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Um, and so I the only thing I will say is all all I all I'm trying to say is I think that's the, the what I said before is like the best you could say. Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. Is that maybe he's like either two things. One, why criticize a love note? I mean, I, I think I think that's I think that's a fair thing to say. I don't think it's an unfavorable love note. It's not like he was like, and then Bilbo did this. He was like, I really like the Hobbit. I'm going to do it. I'm what if I don't get another the chance to do it. I'm going to fucking do it. And I'm going to do it this way. I, yeah, no, that's, that's true. I just think it, it, it's so beat for beat. It loses a lot of its punch. Also, there's so many fucking love notes in this that it's, it kind of cheapens them. Like if you had one, if you used one mm. trope that you lifted from somebody else's work, or yes. homaged to somebody else's work, fine. But like that kind of shit, it's it's at this point it's almost literally writing between the lines. I love the Hobbit, or like Bilbo forever, and 
it I, I agree i think it cheapens not only kind of the work the hobbit does but also kind of like lessens the success or interest you have in this book sure um because Drist isn't doing his own stories. He's walked into somebody else's fiction. The only time I think that that stuff is really is like worthwhile is when you don't even realize it's happening. You don't realize because it's so it's there, but it's not like put not putting a bow on it. Mm-hmm. And this is full of bows. Yep. Uh, it did. It did make me actually look up and I'm not going to be able to give you any more information than this. So that's why I'm bringing it up. Good. Uh, did Tolkien have dark elves and he had something that wasn't unlike dark elves. Mm-hmm. They weren't the way the drower depicted, but they definitely didn't go, you know, off into the West. And mm. then it started getting into that Summerillion talk. And I just, I couldn't, I just like, okay, I'm, I'm dumping out. And you're not talking about like the Orakai or the like wood elves, right? Hold on a sec. Cause I will tell you what I'm talking about. The Moriquindi, also named the Limbi, Hilsildi, and the Kalandi, were the elves of darkness, those who did not embark on the journey over the sea to Amman, and behold the light of the two trees of Valinor. Then you can actually click on the Moriquindi for the one wiki to rule them all fandom, and just delve into his Norse-esque mythology words. Okay. Um, well, that's all my notes for that chapter. Okay. Do you have any uh, more? I don't. Let's move on. Chapter 22, Homeward Bound. Shadow and Max are trying to cross the log over the the waterfall. I purposely did not launch into uh, Paul Simon. But what happened to the cat whose name I don't remember? Sassy? Sassy! But where is Sassy? I don't know. I've, it's very, very hey, you know hard what? for me to... I didn't Cats write that. Cats rule I, and dogs drool. <laughs> That's so true. I didn't write that down, so I had to riff that. And it was, it took a lot to remember that that the the dog's name is Shadow, because that's the I usually remember Sassy when referencing that, and and I think it's Max, right? Is that it? That I sounds that right. Up? I couldn't even. I wasn't even sure about Sassy. I was guessing. So no, I it's definitely right. Sassy. It's definitely Sassy. Okay. It's definitely Sassy. Definitely Shadow. Fucking, it's not Max, is it? I'm looking it up. Sorry to derail this, Shadow but I have Matt. to know. You know what? Let's let's look. I wish I was homeward bound. Home where my thoughts will take me home. Chance! Fuck my dumb mouth. It's definitely Chance. Will! God damn it. I always remember how I watched the, like, the old Incredible Journey when I was, like, in kindergarten. And I was like, I guess, but... There were no, you know, celebrity voices in that. It was just dogs, maybe a narrator. It's a. I always got it confused. I always like I know that like Milo and Otis was like one of those other movies that was like. Okay, so when I was in like summer school, we used to take bus trips around the state to go do things, and we live in Alaska, so like bus trips would be long to go to places. <laughs> yeah. So we'd uh they at a certain point. They ended up having school buses with VCRs and TVs in the school bus. What? So, yeah. So on these long trips, they would have, or, or they were like, you know, tour buses, but they were sure, like sure. booked for this thing. And I remember watching like Homeward Bound and Milo and Otis a lot on those trips, but like you couldn't hear what was happening and you could just see the images. So it's a lot of like a puppy and a kitty 
you know, in precarious situations where they may or may not be dead after the scene's <laughs> over um, kind of thing. And it's a, uh, so I don't know if I've ever actually watched that movie like with a, with undivided attention and a brain that could process I mean, what's happening. All you're really missing is Dudley Moore doing little bits like, don't worry, Otis, I'll get help. Hurry up, Milo. He's just talking for both of them through the whole thing. Wow. Do you, think he, do you think he ad-libbed it? Like they cut a movie together and then he was like, I got this. And then he just <laughs> in one take does the whole film. <laughs> We're waiting for that Arthur two on the rocks money to come in. Yeah. I think, <laughs> that's, I think that's what he that's, did. That's my continuity. Um, okay. Chapter 22, Homeward Bound. Summary. <laughs> the Weeping Friars help Dritzt acquire a horse before he sets out for 10 towns in the north of Icewind Dale. But Roddy McGristle is hot on the drow's tail. Our hero is met with an icy reception at his destination before accepting a deal with a town official to guard a mountain pass leading towards the city. From whatever threats may wander that way in exchange for the opportunity to prove himself to the city's population. Do you have any notes? No. I have two notes, so I will okay. take it from here. Number one, did Roddy McGristle kill the Weeping Friars? I feel like he did, and that seemed almost noteworthy for me, except I didn't really get to know them. The only reason it was noteworthy to me is because it was confusing. <laughs> like, it it didn't happen in... This is the... Okay, this... Yeah, do you have the passage? No, I don't, but this oh, is okay. what I, my theory is. I think that Salvatore is so committed to getting his books around 344 pages that he will deliberately not expound upon things that deserve explanation. He'll just summarize when it's, when it, if it can cut five pages. Yep. And so I think that like, that's my, that's my conspiracy theory is that he is actively like, like, like Peter Jackson with the Hobbit is like, well, I will eventually have a five hour version of this movie, but I can only get theaters to show a three hour version (laughs) So I guess I'll show a slightly, you know, curtailed fight sequence here. That's what that feels like to me. It feels like it has like massive edits around it. Sure. Um, because especially this one, I don't, I don't have the page number, but the way it's written is something like, you know, McGristle would deal with the friars before movie or something like that, and it's like, what does that or he mean? Del- or, or he he will deal with whatever is next with the same. Uh, vengeance and awfulness that he dealt with the friars yeah something like that something implied yeah it's the happened. same the same with like with the tefanis murder is like he he puts him in a sack and beats him to death against a, a tree or a rock or something but like the to death part is not really clear <laughs> like i i wish there was a i just wish there oh. was like a little more confirmation of like oh he's fucking dead there's like, definitely another one of those coming up that I have a note on. And I know that this happens, that this book was written a decade or more, definitely a decade, but and a definitely more, but I don't remember exactly how, 15 years, let's say 15 years before the exact same scene would become the very best moment in Jason uh, X. My favorite scene and the only good, really, there's only a handful of good moments in Jason X the film the girl in the sleeping bag yes there's a sequence where um (laughs) where 
Space Jason is un- is cryogenically thawed on a space station, and he's going through the space station, murdering everybody. And he walks into a hollow deck, and they push a couple buttons in the hollow deck program, and they're like, "Let's see if this slows him down." And it populates a 1980s summer camp Crystal Lake place in this in this place with two scantily clad camp counselors who are not wearing bras and are barely wearing shirts and they walk up to him and they say hey do you want to smoke some pot and have premarital sex (laughs) and then they and he like he does that sort of like dog head tilt uh and then it cuts to some other scene happening on the space station and when it comes back to jason it's just jason swinging a sleeping bag full of the two girls against a tree over and over and over again and because it's all a simulation and then other people are watching like wow this is crazy Um, (laughs) and uh it's 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 not a great movie but that moment is in my brain forever (laughs) um and I and so when I read this, I was like, "Holy shit! It's the same same fucking thing. It's it's the smoke some pot premarital sex scene." Um, God, that's so good. <laughs> it's the self awareness about it that makes me so happy. It's it's the meta joke. The joke is like, "This is what you expect when you came to see a Jason movie." So here it is. But also, let's make fun of it. It's yep. brilliant. It's brilliant. So I was surprised to see that in this in this in this book, but. Um, but, I, but my problem there is like again he doesn't it doesn't feel like Tifanis is death is a real death because did he die or was he just beaten badly? It's it's like was he very very badly burned like like Will Ferrell and Austin Powers or was he fucking dead? Like I I feel like they were leading us to death, but even if that character comes back, it, it's not gonna be so moving to me that I will exclaim what but I thought he was dead I'll be like oh him again I think that maybe this is my problem there are so many things in this in these books in this setting that are so fantasiful that are so fantastic that death is not treated that way Mm -hmm. death is treated as very mundane and very matter of fact just or, or even like so passive it's such a normal thing that they he doesn't even focus on it and I think that bothers me because I want to see, I want as much attention paid to the deaths. Like, like you want uh, emotional catharsis. I want to know like Kalindal's dead. Right. I know that because I read that he's dead and I, I don't want the whole, like there, he, he was in an airplane and it exploded and then, and, and he, and everybody knows the character died, but in the next movie we learned he escaped in an ejection seat or some shit like that. Right. And it's like, like, like what will happen to Harper at the next Stranger Things season? You haven't, you haven't seen, you haven't got up the fire. Spoilers for Stranger Things season oh. three. Not for Go you, for, for them. Sure. Um, Go ahead. Spoiler. The end, the end of Stranger Things season three, you're supposed to kind of think Harper dies, but also absolutely understand that he's not fucking dead. He's been transported somewhere, etc., etc. All will be revealed later. God knows when that'll happen. Um, right. But like, it's, it's that bullshit where it's like, okay, I get, I get it. Like, so that's what bothers me. I, I like, I want to know that closure. So I don't have to think I don't, if fucking Tifanis comes back 
or if Zach Nafine ever comes back, or if any of these, if any character who's supposed to have died comes back because we didn't actually see them die, I don't know. I want to say something dramatic, like I will never read these books, but it's just like there already are so many criticisms that anything I would say would feel <laughs> pale in comparison to the val- very, very rational and, and valuable, I think, like criticisms that we've already established. Um, but it would just be more disappointing, I guess. Yeah. Um, so whatever. Um, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, my next note's actually on page 304 in my book. Dritz comments that he's only met dwarves once before after leaving Mushi's Grove. But Wait, he commented after or that's when he met them? He says that that time of meet maybe I misread it, but it certainly seems like he's suggesting that the time of meeting them when he left Mushi's Grove was the only time he met dwarves. I will now find this passage because now I want to make sure I'm reading it correctly. Good thing you've marked the page number down. Hell yeah. Dritz set out from the gates that night, preferring the darkness for his journey. Despite the cold, his direct approach to the mountain took him along the eastern rim of the rocky gorge that the dwarves had claimed as their home. Dritz took extra care to avoid any guards the bearded folk might have set. He had encountered dwarves only once before, and he had passed Citadel Adbar on his earliest wanderings out of Mushi's Grove, and it had not been a pleasant experience. That's that's the point. So he, this is I'll, a... read, I'll read this sentence again. Okay. Because it's, it's confusing because it has fake Nate words in it. He had encountered dwarves only once before when he had passed Citadel Adbar on his earliest wanderings out of Mushi's Grove. So, my note is... Bullshit. <laughs> Couple ways bullshit. So that's an adventure we never saw. Right. But more specifically bullshit. Because. A huge adventure we. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm thinking of the dwarf in Dove's party. Never met him. Oh, they never met? No. Okay. Then uh, tell me what, you, what you're talking about. I'm talking about when Dritz and Clacker and. Belwar are leaving the uh, Ithilid camp after uh, Zachnafine shows up to wreck sh- sh- shop. They hear through the walls a dwarf party that they're going to meet up with at one of the bends down the way. And they think, maybe we can team up with them. And maybe... What did I do it wrong? Are they gnomes? They're gray dwarves. Does that count as maybe different? Not to me. Well, like, if you'd met if you lived among the elves and you ran into a drow, you say, I only encountered a drow before, not. No, you would say, if, elves. If, but the comparison would be, I've only met an elf before. There are like, what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. There's like the difference between elves and drow. Be, or the difference between great dwarves and dwarves. No, it, 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 you're, you're onto something. But again, if you had said, I never met a drow before, that would be specifically referencing a drow. If you sure. Said, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to spin this off the top of my head. And I may have and, got my words wrong. No, I, I think I know what you're saying, and it doesn't fit here because of the way dwarves work. Like, there are hill dwarves, mountain dwarves, other types of dwarves, but dwarf is the thing that they all are. So, same with elves. Dark elves, high elves, wood elves, whatever you want to call it, whatever other types of elves there are out there, depending on what oh, fiction you're Oh, you're saying, you're saying all drow are elves, but not all elves are drow. Yes. Okay. And, 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 not, and all, you know, all dark dwarves or whatever they were called deep whatever there's deep gnomes and then there was this other type of like, I thought it was gray dwarves gray dwarves deep yeah. gnomes and gray dwarves 
the the gray dwarves are all dwarves, but not all dwarves are gray dwarves. Yes, okay. that's what I'm saying. So, but perhaps uneducated Dritz doesn't recognize that distinction. I I don't think that's what it is. I think it's bad writing. Okay. I think that <laughs> I think that Salvatore has forgotten he wrote this unnecessarily long sequence where Dritz and Clacker and Belwar kill a bunch of dwarves. That was so like you had said at the time, like felt like padding and unnecessary. That to him, it doesn't even exist. Right. Because it got the book to that magical three, was it 340? 344. Number? 344 number? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So uh, that's annoying. Just uh And then to reference this adventure that we've never... It's that thing where, like, he said, it's it's the same bullshit he did when he... he... Okay, one of the problems I have with Salvatore is he has this tendency to write these things in narration. This mm-hmm. is this is my specific problem. It's not he's Dritz isn't saying these things. It's the narrator saying them. Right. The narrator says Dritz had only met dwarves once before in this adventure you never saw, forgetting an adventure you absolutely did see where he met dwarves before that had nothing well, to do with Mushi's Grove. And the other time was when he told he said he would never forget Belwar's name. And then what the fuck? He meets Belwar and he's like, What's your name again? I can't <laughs> quite remember. Sure. Hmm. Is it Belwar or whatever the fuck happened. And it's like you, the narrator very specifically sets the rules now for, for this stuff. Now it's entirely possible. We have an unreliable narrator. It's entirely possible. But one of the really annoying and weird things about these books is that they simultaneously have a narrator who isn't dritzed and who is dritzed. You have, well, I think the, the parts in the middle of these things, which are definitely dritzed like, commenting from an omniscient point of view mm-hmm. about the past events and contextualizing them in some unnecessary and, and slow speed bumpy way. And then you have this other narrator who is like a third person omniscient who isn't dritzed, who isn't a person as far as we know. It's just Salvatore or, or God or whatever. I, like, think it, I think it's Salvatore who is unreliable. And I think that's the thing that bothers me is that we have an un- we don't have an unreliable narrator. We have an unreliable author. Yeah. And that's the thing that bums me out is be- is when the the author uses declarative final statements like he would never see this person again. He will never do this again. He'll never forget. He only did this once before. And then those things are consistently wrong, contradicted or, or, or contradicted. Yes, thank you. That's what gets my goat. <laughs> Um, so it, I, I couldn't let that fucking slide cause it's, it just happens too often. Sure. Uh, and, and honestly it's, it may have only happened two or three times, but, but they stick with me because there's those declarative things that are, they're, that are used cheaply to give this, this gravitas to these otherwise insignificant moments that then he contradicts later, which if you're paying attention, removes the significance from the previous event. I also, I mean, I feel like it's along the same line, the the tossed off, you know, adventure that we're only referencing and not seeing. And I get, I totally get that years have passed and he's going to have had adventures. But like you were saying, give him some interior monologue talking about it, reflecting on it, something a little more than a sentence. Right. Or don't bring it up. Or, or or literally just say something else like Dritz took care to avoid the dwarves of this past or this path because 
he had observed through his travels that dwarves were, you know, gruff and violent and, and challenging foes or some shit like that. Yeah. Like, just make it like he's, Build he's it into clearly, character description. Right. Right. He's clearly Absolutely. very good at sneaking and, and, and at spying and at surveying. So make that the thing, not make it this thing where he kind of did that at one point, but also we never see it. And also you misattribute it as the only time you'd ever seen dwarves before or encountered dwarves before, whatever it said. Anyway, just fucking annoying. Uh, do you have any more notes in that chapter? No. Okay. Then that brings us to chapter 23, a memory come to life. Uh, summary. We're introduced to the dwarf Brunor and his adopted daughter, the human Catty Bree, who live very near where Dritz has made his home in the mountains of Icewind Dale. The stir-crazy child wanders a little too far from home one day in early winter and finds herself face-to-face with Guinevere and Dritz. After an awkward first meeting, the two develop a friendship and share stories of their lives. Uh, first, I would like to note... That my prediction from so very long ago has come true. Oh, it was very insightful. That the subtle nuance of the spelling of this character's name, Caddy Bree, I was able to deduce that this character was, in fact, female. Hats off. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, My only other note in this chapter is... uh, not even, I even like hate it, but the, the quasi Gaelic brogue he tried to write in just, I felt like that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire where Pierce Bros is <laughs> like, what the fuck's wrong with your accent? And like, I'm like, are they Irish? Are they Scottish? What are you doing here? This is, uh, just, just stop it. This is so, <laughs> it's, it's so distracting. I just stop it. Oh, sure, and I'll be going out, Father. Stop it. Just right. I think it's supposed to be that. um, I don't have a problem with that. Um, It's very distracting for me. Okay. uh, I I, I think that's a reader problem, not a writer problem. Well. Uh, Sorry. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it can be done to great effect, and I've seen it done to great effect. And this, he, he, I mean, it felt like he was dabbling. Well, your criticism was that he did it pond. at all, not that he did it poorly. Your criticism was just write, don't write this thing. So no, no, it's don't write this thing because you can't do it well. So it's that okay, he did well, it poorly. Then, then I, uh, I can't really comment on that because I haven't, I don't have like, like I've, I've read, uh, Dubliners, um, and it's full of that, like that uh affectation of speech um yeah. and it's f- fine i i it, it from memory from memory only i can't tell the difference between that and this like i don't see it as being worse okay um uh i guess so that's yeah okay i i i you you I, acknowledge my critique yeah i acknowledge your your critique and i i can see why you would make it it did not bother me Fair enough. Um, that much, but I am glad to know that you, that it wasn't just me. Cause at a certain point I was like, I wonder if I'm like reading too much into this and putting too much of the accent in when I'm listening, when I'm reading it. But like, well, I think at the end that I feel like he's, he, he uses the Shurin to set the accent and then only half heartedly writes the rest of it. Yeah. Accented with a couple of, 
yees and a couple of eyes, but doesn't go f- whole hog. I think I saw one thing where a G was dropped in place of an apostrophe, but other than that, it was it was not a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, yees and yours. Yeah. Like in this Caddy Bree stuff here, I'm looking in, in my book, and she says things like, ye must be on the northern side, or, but I'm not fearing them. I came to find yourself, and now I have. <laughs> I guess, okay, here's here's where I'm at. I read this like Connor McLeod's reading it. But so see, to me, okay. that, that sounds just as authentic and therefore is authentic. Well, and that's the thing. A lot of it just felt like he was going for Scottish, but that Shuren is 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 an Irish uh, stereotype. And so that's why I just felt so mishmashy. And I, I felt like when I was growing up uh, in the 90s, I ran into a friend in the supermarket who said, Oh, Rob, how are you doing today? And I'm like, uh, I'm good. What's what's going on with the the action? He's like, oh well, I've just been watching Train Spotting, and I'm like, the, well, you're off by a couple hundred miles, dude. Right, right. And that's what this felt like to me. It's like, do you, do you not hear the difference? Right. Because um, you're going well, for Darby. You're doing Darby O'Gill, but you think you're doing Irving Welsh. Well, well, I guess I guess the the problem here when I'm reading, it, I I can see the Shuren here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's a that's a thing used in Scotland too. And I'll that's be... not that's not what my criticism. My criticism okay. is it's just so it's it really is otherwise not really present. It's really specifically on the your becomes year right, and you becomes ye right, and of oftentimes becomes o. I mean, it, I guess it's just that Scott's dialect is a recognized thing, and it mm-hmm. has a look to it and a sound to it, and you know, whole I, I, books are written that way. Sure. And if you're going to do that, but, get, but maybe you're try projecting to do that. that expectation on it too. Like, if if the Shuren is so specifically Scottish, maybe or, or Irish, this maybe this is supposed to be more Irish than Scottish. But like, <sighs> I, I could, here's what my guess. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to find other words in here that are that'll like help illuminate one side or the other, but really the way that they they speak, it's it's really those those very few words, lots of ye, lots of yere. There's no like, there's nothing like, like like we talked about a couple days ago. There's no dine, there's none of that. There's no like. I can't see anything else besides Sherwin. I can't see anything else that feels like Scottish to me or Irish to me rather. Sorry. No, it's fine. I just, I just, I, 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 it just feels like he doesn't have an ear for it. And if that's the case, get a sensitivity reader, man. Like here, he, uh, Caddy Brie nodded, believing his words. Me name's Caddy Brie. She said, <laughs> uh, and this is, this is my point. He says, so me name's Caddy Brie. She said, me dad is Brunor, King Oklan Baalama. So like it's it's that part where like he doesn't she doesn't say da. Right. She says dad. So like yeah. it's that part where like if I read that without accentuating Caddy Bree, me me is the only like accented? Yeah, but there's another dialected. It's okay. the only dialected part of of that sentence. It happens twice. Well, there's the O, O clan Baalhammer. 
<laughs> yeah, but clan. Like, the clan sounds Scottish again. It's it's it's. I don't. It, I, I, it takes me out of it more than the book has already taken me out of it. I guess. Sure. Um, my in terms of a remedy, the only thing I can say is remember that it's just fantasy. <laughs> There's no Scotland in this world. It it doesn't have to be a hundred percent allegorical. No, I guess I guess that's true. I guess it's just I ire ish. <laughs> Um, I think it's, it's the raising me ire. I think it's supposed to probably be more loosely Gaelic inspired than anything. Okay, sure. <laughs> that's the best I can give you, man. No, that's fair. And I, I'm trying. I'm trying to give you more of like a, a way to justify it and not have it bother you so much. Because again, like I'm reading. I'm re- trying to read all. I'm reading through all the dialogue as we're talking, and we're taking a ton of time to do it. Um, but <laughs> but really, like, there's like four or five specific things he replaces your with year you with ye my with me of with oh and i haven't seen anything else in here where it's word replacement to accent something because if you were gonna write out a thick brogue you would write out more specific affectations oh absolutely i think i've got an example right here somewhere like the harry potter one I've got the Harry Potter one. I got Twenty Years of Growing, which is a book written in Ireland. Uh, some Robbie Burns somewhere, and then I've got uh, Irving Welsh's Transpotting. Right. All of those. They're just. I mean, you you go cross-eyed looking at the page because. Right. It's like damn. Right, but so I guess that's what I'm saying is I don't I don't I think he's definitely going for something like that. Mm-hmm. But. I don't think it's it, it's it might be less egregious because it is it's like it's like light beer. It's the light beer version of dialect. I've never tried light beer. And now with that <laughs> rousing endorsement, I never shall. Good. But I and again, this is not the best defense, but I think my defense is again, I don't think this is trying to be more than it is. I think you have higher standards that this isn't meeting. But I don't think it wants to meet your standards. <laughs> I don't think it's trying to, at least. Um, which again, I don't think is its fault. Like, I see, it's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's not your fault. I just, I don't. I, w- w- I don't understand why people call me a snob like they're breaking new ground. I'm not calling you a snob. I'm you're saying, not. But it's it's come up before. I'm just I'm saying, saying you're I've got making, standards. You're you're making cereal. You're like, oh goodness, I'm gonna love these honey nut cheerios and then you take a bite and you're like well these taste stale and odd and you look at the package and you realize it's uh b circle uh cereal and you're like what b circle cereal now with more bees i didn't want that but the cereal told you what it was gonna be (laughs) you just expected more all i know is that next year i'm gonna put whiskey in my lucky charms yeah okay (laughs) um all right very excited to do it okay uh do you have any more notes in this chapter i don't let's move on chapter 24 revelations summary roddy mcgristle having tracked dritz to the mountains of icewind dale solidifies himself as the true villain of this book when he slanders the drow's public image to Brunor and his daughter, not looking to, looking to get involved either way, Brunor dismisses the bounty hunter without giving much aid. Fearful for her friend, Caddy Bree flies from her dwarven home 
to find and warn the drow of the hunter in his midst. I have no notes. Uh, I've only got one, which is, and, and I get that we're at the end of the book and we're at the end of McGristle's story. I hope we're at the, I, God, I hope we're at the end of McGristle's story. Um, I'm over using the thistle downs as disingenuous, disingenuous allegations. It it, it it was just one time too many for me. Like mm-hmm. he, he went there again. I'm just like, fuck, come on. It, it kind of made sense even for the character. I was just sick of reading it, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, we talked about that earlier a little. I think you're supposed to. I think you're supposed to be up, like frustrated with this guy's relentlessness and doubt his sincerity as a hero sure sure but what it it came off as tedious to me instead of frustrated that he's still doing it well either way if you don't like him then it's working no because one's a reflection of the author no what i'm saying is if you're dealing if you if you were hanging out with roddy mcgristle and you heard him I would not do that. Again, say this same bullshit. You would go, dude, shut the fuck up. Everyone knows that's not your deal. It's because he scarred up your face. Like, I don't want to hear your, your bullshit anymore. Like, that's that's what I'm saying. I think it's it's mm. like that feeling. Maybe. That's it. Okay. That brings <laughs> us to... Chapter 25, Dwarven Banter. Um. All right. Summary. The possible final showdown between McGristle and Dritzt. The brutal fight, a whole book in the making, ensues wherein Dritzt cannot bring himself to strike a killing blow against the bounty hunter, yet defeating him all the same. Appealing to Brunor for aid in hunting down the elf, McGristle finds no quarter in the dwarf's kingdom as news of the man's perverted hands reached Caddy Bree's father. After eating one of McGristle's dog's legs, Brunor meets with Dritz on the mountain and in a roundabout way tells the drow that he's welcome to stay in the mountains in his home. Do you have any notes? First note. Oh, great. It's rapey, too. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that, uh, I will say, 30 years ago, I don't know if this was as overused as it is now in fantasy. Oh, sure. Also... But, 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 however, I will say, also, but, however, I will say, <laughs> how many qualifiers can I stack? Um, <laughs> it's also jumping the shark. It's, it's, yes. it's, it's like, it's, it's like, dude, he's already evil. Like, dude, he's already evil. You don't need to also make this book feel gross. Yes. I don't want to read a story about a guy who tries to rape a kid or diddle a kid. Like, in my fantasy books. I don't want that in there. I don't want that fly in my ointment. Get that shit out of here. Like It, 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 it didn't serve anything. No. Other than served... to make us dislike this character who is already pretty vile. I think it more than anything, it signifies what a edgelord 1991 R.A. Salvatore was. Or how, whatever this was written. I, don't, I mean, just... I, it doesn't feel particularly edgelordy to me. Oh, it absolutely does to me. What all really? he's doing, Yeah, all he's doing is trying to say... Look at how hardcore I am. I wrote a character who's evil because who's tipped over the edge of absolutely evil because he threatens to diddle a young girl. Hmm. And and I think the only thing that this is there to serve is the edginess. It's just like in uh, Exile when Dritz is 
his sister makes a move on him and tries to fuck him in their weird elf orgy. Right. And it's like... Which had no payoff or came back no, around at ever. all. Never. It's just there to be like, isn't this edgy? It's just there to okay, simulate edginess. Uh, yeah. It was just such a turd island yeah. in a sea of crap. Yeah. Um... And so let's go. Let's go. Let's get on to Bruner eating the dog's leg. Yeah, same that was thing. off. That was off page, right? Yep. I mean, yep. I, I had to go back and reread it because they're like his three-legged dog, and I'm like, what? And then I read some more, and he talked about, oh, don't eat dog, it's gross. And I'm like, what? And I went back, and it's like Bruner fighting in the middle of the fight, looked down at the dog's haunch, and thought of a better use for it. And I'm like, that's that. That's my preamble. <laughs> that's all I get. Well, I mean, to be fair, what more do you want? Do you want him to say, and now I'm eating the, the dog's leg? He's cutting the dog's leg off for meat. What does that tell you? He's eating the dog. He's cutting off, like, the whole thing with the muscle. That dog is grievously wounded. It's not limping. It doesn't have, it's not off at its, like, elbow where you can tourniquet it and you can just limp out. That's got its whole haunch missing. And yeah. but the dog's able to. None of this makes sense. It doesn't hold. Well, it's up. just. This it's is... just. It, no, it, it does. It's all just happening off page. Those. Well, two he's also not. At the he's also time. not hanging the meat to let the blood drain out. <laughs> and he says it's not good. Like, like. Your well, then argument... he's an idiot and shouldn't be doing his own butchery. There's. He's okay, poor. it doesn't mean it's not there. He should know this. None of this adds it, up. It's it stupid. It's not that it doesn't add up. It's it that don't. you're upset. <laughs> I'm upset because it doesn't add up. It's perfectly fine. It all makes total sense. It's all on the page. I don't know where you're missing it. He's not an idiot orc. Okay, maybe. He's a smart like, dwarf. What, should... for, for whatever reason, the dog meat didn't agree with him. If you're going to insist that it's because these other things, fine. I can't. I'm not going to argue no, I'm that saying those aren't those reasons. The dog reasons. wouldn't be limping. He would be dead. It's entirely possible that after that, uh, in a fervor to heal and save his dog's life, uh, Roddy McGristle did stitch his dog up and heal him to a point. Maybe he used magic. Maybe he used a potion. It's a magical world. There's so many things that could happen that this really shouldn't be where your suspension of disbelief falls. <laughs> no. I'm No. <laughs> Just no. Okay. I, Wash I my think... hands of it. I, th no. I think that you're, I definitely think this is a weird overreaction. <laughs> like, how, have you, I mean, three-legged dogs often aren't, like, just missing their paw. They're oftentimes missing the whole bit. Sure, but I'm talking about, like, all the muscle that would extend into, like, you know, the shoulder or the hip or whatever. Because he's getting the meat, he's getting the haunch, he's, ah, dwarf dinner, yum. Right. The hind haunch would disconnect at the hip. What's the problem? I feel like there's so much blood loss that dog would be dead. But again, like I don't in, buy that. In a no, realistic I'm world, do, I'm not going to do his heavy lifting for him. He needs I'm to not asking you to. I'm post. saying that this is a literal magic world. We've seen horrible people get attacked in horrible no. ways and no. not die. This is a one-off joke, and it's badly written, and it doesn't <laughs> pay any attention to the consistency of the world or how things interact. No, you are. You're this not paying attention to the This is indicative of the entire series world. thus far. It's indicative of your inability to accept this world. <laughs> That's what it's indicative of. It's, it's you. You it's, are, and I'm not saying this is your fault. Hear me it's out. It's not a fantastical world. Just it's a nonsensical world. It's. It is a fantastical world. It isn't a world that is exclusively limited to being defined by these books. That's the problem. 
is that we are reading them through these books exclusively. You don't have any other exposure to this setting in mm -hmm. other mediums and other capacities. So I think that the author is utilizing its his expected reader's uh, experience in this world to be able to understand that those things are completely not lethal. Like, this is a world where you can literally go down to one hit point, be essentially eviscerated, and through the success of a couple of die rolls, stabilize or basically walk back to full health. I mean, that just seems like an allowance that has to be made for the game version of this world. It's the same world. I don't see anybody playing dice. It's The, the, the dice are uh, the a dice representation are a, yeah, of the exactly, way this stuff in the metaphor. world works. Exactly. There is no dice that they're, they're metaphorical. They wouldn't have to be in the book. We're going to have to move on because we're not going to agree. I disagree that we have to move on. <laughs> I I mean, I don't understand the, the problem because, again, it just seems like the, 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 the problem. I'll let, I'll, you tell me what your problem is again. Go for it. My problem is bad writing. As demonstrated by... None of these pieces adding up. I don't believe the dwarf would eat the dog's leg. That's edgelordy shit. I don't believe the dog wouldn't die. None of, none of it fits together. It's just, it, 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 he's he's like, oh shit, I'm nearing that 340 mark. I gotta wrap it up. Here's some shit that happened. Uh, isn't that funny? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like, I, I unfortunately, I feel like you don't like these books yeah and this is not an excuse to vent your frustration but it's like this is the whitehead of your frustration this right i'm gonna squeeze it until it all just but but it is it, it isn't really the problem the the problem is a deeper infection which i'm going to squeeze out through the whitehead yeah i understand the metaphor i made rob yes i promise I <laughs> yeah, I know. So what I'm saying is you're saying like that's like a bad thing and I'm saying this no, will I'm saying fix it for me. No, I'm saying that you are overreacting to this specific thing because a larger problem exists under the surface. Further, like more than skin deep. You're nodding as if you're agreeing, but I can't hear you. I'm, not, I'm, I'm nodding to say I'm waiting for it to make sense. How does it not? How does that not make sense? Like, like, I, I, I feel like we're so close to. You don't, you don't believe that saying. the character. You, you're saying that you, you've said. Let me rephrase. You've said that you don't believe that the character who ate a dog's leg would, would like have an upset stomach. I don't believe he would have eaten the dog's leg. Why don't you believe that? It was it's written. not consistent with the character that I have thus far read. Why? What makes you say that? It's needlessly cruel, and he didn't seem like a needlessly cruel person. It's I don't I don't. He wasn't starved for rations. He just, his home is right over there. He needs to beat this guy, go home, and have a meal. I I don't see any of that information in the book. I don't see anything Would that he... says he's not. I mean, he he's. It's it's the needlessly cruel part that that's it implies a value system I don't see represented in the story. 
Where, this where is, else is clearly the guy's pet. He's already said how much the dog means to him because the other dog died and that the drow killed his dog and scarred up this dog. Right, Mick Grizzle wouldn't eat a dog. Yes, agreed. But he's but no Brunor? he said this he said this to uh Brunor. Right. And now Brunor's cutting his dog. It's just needlessly cruel. You don't need to hurt the animal to piss off McGristle. That's cruel. I, even if that's what you're doing, that's a cruel thing to do, and it doesn't that doesn't fit with the king's character. I think that the again the problem comes down to you're projecting a value system onto a character based on your values that don't apply to that character. I, think I feel that, like, like if that's his character, then I need to. There's nothing to indicate he's going to be that twisted. Again, you're saying things about twisted. You're you're applying like if a... he's that kind of person, that stuff would be <laughs> written in I... all the introduction we've had to him up until this point, and it wasn't. That shit doesn't just come out of nowhere. I again, I think that if you're having the trouble you're having is not is is about. I don't. I don't see those problems. I don't see this as a thing where he would have to say. By the way, I'll eat dog leg. I, no, I he doesn't have to say I'll eat dog leg. But you can have him being cruel in another way. This he's not cruel though. <laughs> he isn't cruel, and this isn't a cruel thing he's doing. That's the part you're not understanding. To you, it's cruel. To him, it is not. That's the Why part where these not? two things don't. Because it isn't for him. What he's is it? A pr- it's n- sustenance. He's chosen to to take a sample of dog leg to munch on it because the character is inherently a little goofy and a lot violent. A little goofy and a lot violent means I'm going to eat a dog leg and have diarrhea. That's what you get, and it's right there. It's all there in that what the character is. That is incredibly right. stupid. No, that's stupid. <laughs> it, it can be stupid. both. It's it bad. can be stupid. It isn't bad. It's it not necessarily bad. 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 I, I, no. I'm saying I, that's what that's. I think that's the thing here. I'm saying this is necessarily bad. And and that's and I that is indicative. I can't abide that. Okay. Well, because that's that's a un, that's an unnecessary projection of value of like good and badness. Not you're not talking about a quantifiable. Like very, oh, no, we're talking uh, about perception, and that's uh, that's not universal, so I no, can't agree. No, 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 you misunderstand me. I'm not saying his actions are bad. I'm saying the characterization is bad. The writing is bad. That's what's bad. The story being told is bad. I know. I know. Right. Right. Yeah. I. Uh, I. I. I think that it. It is all perfectly justified. Um. It is not something I would do, but in in the context of this story, a like a fringe territorial mountain king eating animal flesh doesn't strike me as weird. See, that's too, you've generalized too many things there. He's not just eating animal flesh. To him, him, I don't think it's any different than that. He's butchering someone's companion to eat flesh and and ostensibly teach that guy a lesson too. Right. I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I think the context does not fit the scene, or vice versa. I, I think that, w- w- like, to a dwarf, a a dog like that would have no more value than to be food. I don't know that. Again, I think that has way more to do with, like... This is the guy who adopted a human's daughter. Humans who he hates. He adopted the daughter. He's got tenderness. He's got empathy. I, I, I know. <laughs> so him, this doesn't fit. I think that he isn't... He's not conflating a dog with a child. To him, they are, are completely different things, especially someone whose dog is attacking him and who the other person who's also attacking him. Like, I, I, 
I can, I can, I, I think I. But he's I can not accept. defend. He's not just defending himself. He's specifically going. I'm going to eat that, and it doesn't. Yes, I'm going to drink your milkshake. <laughs> so now it's not about sustenance. Now it's about revenge. See, you're you're changing. You're dancing all no, over the place. No, I'm saying no. Your motivations Rob, are changing. I, I am absolutely not. I am absolutely not. You're not following. It's two things at the same time. He's taking the opportunity to have like a little bit of spite with this guy to take his dog who Brunor does not value as anything more than an opportunity to try dog before sending him on his way. It's, it's incredibly informative to who this character is. And because you don't like it, you're saying it's bad characterization. No, I'm saying it's bad characterization and I don't like it. <laughs> I'm saying those things that you've suggested that it is, do not fit with the context of the character that I have read thus far. But I think that those that context is something you're projecting. I don't think it's something that's written. I th- and I think you're doing the opposite. I think you're making it fit. I, I mean, there, there's making you're it like, fit. In, you're, in, you said, I've read this much of the character so far. This event happened. Now I'm going to tie everything together and say it works and that it doesn't fit. I, I think what you're describing... I think what you're describing is just reading and comprehending the story. And I don't mean that. I, I'm sure that sounds awful. And it's not how I intend it. But like, that's just what's there. It's all there. I don't think it's all there. Yeah, I, 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 I guess. It feels like an unnecessary flourish to be. This, this, this seems as edge lordy as the uh, threatening of Cappy Bree. Yeah, I. It doesn't seem that way to me. Um. But yeah, that's. Well, we'll see if that character is in keeping in the next book. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah, I mean, it, it it very well could be. I just, I do not think this is, this is such a strange hill to die on well, for the rest of the book. You're not succeeding. <laughs> so, like, I, I think that there's, there's, maybe there's a, a, a middle ground, but. I'm sure, I'm sure the listeners will ride in and tell me that I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> Look east. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, okay. So, any other notes? Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> um. When uh, Brunor, right? Yeah. Described his daughter's orc headed. I thought that was really fun. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Epilogue. Dritz sums everything up, talks about humans vexing nature, remarks on his favorite humans, his long life, and his that his story is not finished. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, he mentioned Wolfgar or Wolfgar. Yep. I've forgotten at this point. Who's Wolfgar? Wolfgar is a character we've not met yet. Oh, they're doing that. Okay. Yeah, he did it. He did it in another one of the earlier books when he was talking about Clacker, I think. And he was referencing all the people that matter to him. And he mentions Caddy Bree. And he yeah, mentions yeah. Wolfgar. Yeah, and Brunor even. And, and Brunor. And it's, it's just like, it's all this shit where it's like, okay, we haven't met these people yet because we're reading these books out of order. I think because it threw me because it's made it, what I believe I read was, what's the northern place that they're near the place the town he was kicked out of uh ten towns ten towns or that pass whatever that area icewind dale icewind dale if he made it sound like wolfgar's from icewind dale so when he said that in the epilogue i'm like is that a character i missed so maybe that's someone he will meet soon mm-hmm. or just that's where he will have come from i don't know it was very confusing for mm. me that's all i've got yeah um okay so we have uh book trilogy overview 
Um, yeah. Um, do you want to go first? No. Okay. I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it's a writing style and a, a writing quality that I'm having a hard time with. Yeah. Um, but again, still, I don't know that maybe he's not good at that sort of negative, you know, backstory writing. You need to go into the, the, the negative numbers to try to create something. So maybe past zero, which is we're at the zero point now, he will go forward mm-hmm. and the, his, right. his writing will be markedly better. Right. Where he uh, can actually like build upon something as opposed yes. to building. Reconstructing or the, deconstructing. Yeah. Right. Or, I think yeah. what you're saying. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, maybe the next book will just wow me. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. That's what I'm counting on. Okay. Anything else? I don't think so. All right. Well, my overview for for this book, at least, is uh, while so much of this prequel trilogy was boring and outright tedious, I am and I am glad for it to be over. I didn't expect Roddy McGristle to be as vicious as he is in the end, nor did I expect him to be such a satisfying villain. Metaphorically, he's the violent and uh, he's the violence and prejudice dritz flees for three books uh, personified he Mm -hmm. and in the end dritz cannot defeat him alone only the kindness of a stranger and the acceptance of a friend could relieve dritz of his nomadic burden i I, and while i so so while i found salvatore boring imprecise and cliche through this three book trilogy i'll be damned if he can't spin a metaphor I, and I think that that is the part where, for me, that's a pretty thick silver lining for these this these three books is, while all that stuff I've said, I'm not going to reiterate it, but there's there's plenty of things to, to chide and criticize him for in his writing. But I think that these three books specifically, having not read any more, are a really interesting and, and, and compelling metaphor about what it means to to suffer through you know prejudice Mm -hmm. in in a way that i think for a target audience that is very likely predominantly white is pretty cool like it's Hmm. a pretty interesting thing to to give a what i would guess especially in the 1990s that the predominant audience of dungeons and dragons was dominantly or predominantly white and therefore telling them a story getting into their consciousness and their brains and talking about racial prejudice especially with a character whose skin is dark mm-hmm. and making them think he's super cool endearing him to them some many of them i'm sure have you know racial prejudices at minimum privilege is probably really important it was probably really influential in a positive way to spread a quality message about inclusivity and the evils of prejudice sure and i think he does it in a way that actually like is is not not that's one thing I didn't find cliche in the books. I didn't find Dritt's journey through racism cliche. Uh, I didn't find it. It could have been a lot worse. Yes. It, 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 yeah. The the message of empathy was pretty good. Yeah, and it and it was like again from a macro perspective, having read those three, I can say that I think that there it would it, if you're gonna have trouble getting through to a kid, mm-hmm. messages and stories like that that would that smaller books with more impact or, or whatever might be able to deliver more expediently to a, uh, a more 
receptive child, this is a good way to get that same message to those kids who just want to read stories about a blind guy who can shoot arrows into a giant. Like it's, I think that that's really powerful. And I think that potentially could be potentially powerful. Um, And I think that they deserve credit for that. And then I would hope that that has something to do with their successes because there's all, there's so many other things to criticize and detract in terms of the writing and et cetera. So I, having that perspective on it, I don't, I, I am looking forward to the next book because I, I feel like I can having read these three and being able to feel like I understand why we had to go through the things we went through with Dritz to get to the point where this book ends in the way it ends, where we can see that again, like the message is he can't like no individual is going to be able to overcome prejudice. It's going to take other people stopping being prejudiced Mm -hmm. to, and being accepting and being welcoming to end it. You're not going to, fight your way out of prejudice i think is 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 the metaphor at the end of this book you're only going to be you can only be only like do the best you can and hope prejudice people see that and relent (laughs) maybe that's maybe that's a terrible message but it feels like it's it's it might be a more grounded one than a lot of other things and maybe i'm missing the, the mark on it but i feel like i feel like that's what i picked up out of this and i think that's pretty insightful i think that i think it is I might be circling myself here again, but it's having tuned into that for these three books. And again, like having gone through them, I think I'm open to there being a deeper theme in crystal shard that could take us to another place, Mm -hmm. another, another potential like metaphor, another potential like insight into the world that could be interesting and put, and again, valuable in the sense that it might be hitting a target audience that may be missing it. Now, I don't know that yet. It could just be complete schlock. But the prequel had that. So, and, and I'll say again, that's a that's an incredibly valuable trait for a prequel series to have. And in and in ranking prequels, because of that like through line and the success of it, that's pretty fucking incredible. Like, as, especially in terms of, like, as an author. It's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to do to, I'm sure, write a prequel trilogy and then do it in a way that gets a successfully gets a strong message across, um, despite how clunky the, the, the page-to-page reading is. So it's, uh, I, I think that's where I, where I end with, with Dritz, um, at least at the end of this book, is hoping that that's where we end up with Crystal Shard. Fingers crossed. C- Scimitar is crossed. Oh, that's better. And, and it's another thing that, like, I again, it feels like I can appreciate why Exile had to be as boring as it was, or feel as boring as it was, because mm. you you had to really understand the whole book is explaining to the reader why Menzo Berenstain sucks so much that you'd want to leave it. Like you, he his whole point is getting you to feel like, oh shit, like I. I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> like it's like being a teenager, you know, you're like this, this place I grew up sucks. It doesn't fit for me. I need to get out and go somewhere else as an individual book. Not so great, but as that stepping stone towards through, uh, you know, 
Yeah, I guess, but and and I know this is another argument that we've had that we've never seen eye to eye on, but I still don't get why Dritz was the good one. I, I guess I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I never understood why why he was good, why he had a spark of goodness, why he didn't want to be evil. It never made sense to me. Just he just because he was. No, see, I I think it's I think it's because he he's the only Drow who had another Drow around to tell him that it, life could be different. The he the thing he had that other Drow didn't have was a perspective that was different. And perspective isn't a thing you can just manifest necessarily. Some mm-hmm. people can, some people can't. A lot of people have to be shown opportunity. It's the exact same reason representation is important. You have to have people who you can relate to doing things that you've never imagined you could do. And seeing them do it allows you to imagine that you could do it. It's the same thing. Dritzt had Zaknafine to show him that this wasn't great. That this wasn't the world that, like... Uh, that you you should be able to live in a world that's not this terrible. The world could be different if we just tried. Other drows are indoctrinated into this culture of be, the only way to succeed and get the most out of life is to be backstabbing and to be cruel. It certainly seems like, as a, in a cultural sense, they don't have that totem of alternative around to influence them. Dritz did. Well, I like your read of the book better than the book. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get it without reading the book, though. That's what I I'm feel like, like you, 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 yeah. Everyone brings their own stuff to the stories fair. they read, and I feel like you added a lot. <laughs> I, I don't think I did. I, that's unfortunately. I know, I know you don't. Um, I know you don't. Um, the, uh, yeah. So, being that Crystal saying, Shard is, I'm the, saying you're the seasoning that made this book tolerable. <laughs> I I appreciate that, and I hope that it I hope it doesn't go stale. Um, <laughs> the uh, um, the next book, the Crystal Shard, the book that starts it all, um, is again, being that it is exactly three hundred and forty four pages. <laughs> uh, that means that the the next episode we'll be reading through the beginning wherever you want to start for the beginning uh all the way through what what in my book is called the first epilogue or what is just called epilogue but right before part two starts so do not read part two the reason i say the reason that 344 is important is because one fourth of 344 is exactly 86 which is exactly where part two begins which makes me wonder if halfway through at page, what is it? 168? 68? Is that it? Is that, would you say it was 86? I can do it. I have a computer that will do math for me. 72. 172. 172. Yeah. So at page, let's see what's at page 172. Uh, it's in the middle of a chapter. Ah, well. But it is. Nope. That's a big chapter. Um, well, anyway, that's what we're going to read next time is part one of of the Crystal Shard. So, uh, do we have any other any notes? I don't have any new words. Do you have anything? I don't think I have anything else. S- same. All right. Well, then that was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Fuck! Sorry, I'm... I don't know why my autocorrect ruins the shit I write. But, like, words show up that make no fucking sense, but are close to a word that would make really good fucking sense. And it's infuriating. That's why I haven't got the autocorrect app on my notepad.